to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. Brought to you by FunkinStuff.net, this is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, Truth Seekers, and Truth Crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership, Mark Lettieri, an accomplished jazz, funk, fusion instrumentalist, guitar player, composer, and producer. His credits include being a member of the wonderfully inventive Grammy-winning ensemble, Snarky Puppy, several outstanding solo releases, and working with a number of other highly regarded players, including members of Volpec. In addition, he has recorded with David Crosby, The Jacksons, Legacy, Keisha Cole, and Exhibit. His latest outing from earlier this year is a super funky blast titled Deep, the Baritone Sessions, Volume 2. Mark, thank you for joining the show. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. Outstanding. Absolutely. And you're coming to us, obviously, from home base there. Why don't you tell everyone what home <laughs> base is? Uh, this is Fort Worth, Texas, and um, this is the quote-unquote home studio. It's just a room with a lot of guitars in it. <laughs> Well, it looks awesome. I mean, Thanks. you know, you got... Uh, it's a mess. Like, 
I should I re- I didn't realize that this particular corner looked as bad as it did until we just put the camera on. So I should probably clean that up a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> yes, yes, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been looking forward to having you on the show. I'm a you know a huge fan of a lot of the music that you are as well, and Thanks, uh, also yeah, you know combining. Sure. That rock edge with funk is, you know, what I love so much. So very cool. Awesome. Right on. Right on. Yeah. So let's uh, give the folks a little background on how you first, you know, got into guitar and why guitar. Sure. I uh, started as a kid, about 11, 12, and I think guitar probably found me, maybe. Um, there was one in the house, uh, an old acoustic belonging to my dad that he would play every now and then. And um, I'm really thankful that both he and my mom had great taste in music. And so I grew up with the sounds of the birds and the beach boys and Motown and classic rock and soul and things like that in the house all the time. So uh, I had an ear for music early, um, but just kind of gravitated towards the guitar because it was there and it was something to do in the afternoon, maybe. <laughs> and I would just sort of noodle on it and just make noise. And then one day my dad asked if I just want some guitar lessons. And I said, yeah, sure. You know what the heck? And so I started taking lessons from a friend's mom and, and right then and there, as soon as I understood how to now create these sounds that sounded cool to me, I was kind of hooked from the beginning and never really didn't want to do it. <laughs> it. It was, it. I don't think I ever looked at it as a hobby necessarily. It was going to be a really, really important part of my life forever. What was your first guitar? Uh, besides the one that I learned on that belonged to my, my folks. Um, I, well, the one I actually learned on was a old Yamaha that my mom had. It was like an old, like nylon string that she bought in college and made, like never learned how to play it. Um, but the first like electric guitar I had was a Fender Squire Stratocaster that I had for about a year. And then it was stolen from our house <laughs> when our house got robbed. <laughs> so I don't know what happened to it. A black yeah. one? Uh, it was um, Sunburst, tobacco oh. Sunburst with a rosewood fretboard. Yeah. And so. you grew up in Texas, right? I grew up in Menlo Park in California. Oh. Yeah, Bay Area. So. I ended up in Texas for college and just stayed. Mm-hmm. So I, I got kind of got plugged into the music scene uh, towards the end of my time at, at university and then just didn't feel like moving home, I guess. Yeah. So, and you ended yeah. up taking a lot of uh, formal training on the instrument too, right? And, and theory and all that? Mm, kind of, sort of, uh, on and off. Yeah. I had, a, I had a teacher in high school that was like a private teacher that would come by the house um, and he taught me a lot of theory. Um, and I was primarily into rock at the time, but was slowly starting to get into to R&B and funk and stuff like that towards the end of my time in high school. And then in college, I took about a year and a half uh, of jazz guitar with, with the professor at TCU where I went um, as an elective. So I did it because I, I liked to do it and I wanted to get some new knowledge, but my degree was actually in, in marketing, uh, marketing and, and public relations. Um, so I'm kind of like half self-taught, half mentored, I guess I, I should say, since I don't have a degree in music, but there have been some influential people in my life that have helped me along. Did that, uh, marketing exposure help you when you, <clears throat> excuse me, decided to make music sort of, you know, your life in terms of the business side? Yeah, I think it has, uh, in kind of a roundabout way. Sometimes I'll, um, think back to maybe some of the things I learned about brand building and perception and 
you know, damage control on the PR side of things <laughs> uh, to kind of help me on my way. Um, and, and, you know, for a while I thought I wanted to work in advertising um, and was pretty passionate about it, but the music th- guitar thing was kind of always over my shoulder telling me, like, hey, this is what you're really going to do. So. <laughs> so when you say that your parents, you know, gave you a diverse musical um, you know, education, basically, I, I want to share with uh, viewers, you know, I caught one of your uh, videos online. You have so many videos online. You have a tremendous uh, social media following. So congratulations sure. on that. Thanks. Thank you. Um, but uh, you have that favorite riffs video in particular, and the uh, mm-hmm. selections on that is Bambi by Prince, Who Knows by Hendrix, uh, A King's X track, and All Day Sucker, Stevie Wonder, and Sing a Simple Song by Sly Stone. So yeah. that really conveyed to me you know, the love and appreciation you have for that music and those genres. Absolutely. Yeah. That was a fun little, um, little video we put together up for TC electronic, the, the effects company. And they just had, you know, they said, Hey, pick five of your favorite riffs and gosh, I could have done 50, you know? Um, but those were the five that kind of poked into my mind and ones that I had sort of remembered how to play, even though I probably played them all wrong. Um, but yeah, I mean, <clears throat> in a nutshell, those bands or those artists, excuse me, have uh, really crafted a lot of my sound, you know, um, <clears throat> certainly from the R&B spectrum, but also on the rock spectrum. I, I, I kind of find myself in the middle of both worlds a lot because I grew up with rock and then gravitated towards funk and R&B and jazz and then went back to rock and then went to gospel. And then kind of now I'm here in my 30s being like, well, I like all of it. So let's just live here in the happy medium and draw from the influences I, as I see fit when it's time to be creative. And who are some of your, you know, early and as you got more into the instrument, uh, favorite players and influences? Sure. Um, I think my first like favorite guitar player, like if you were to stop me at a guitar store and be like, Hey kid, who's number one, I, I would have said Jimi Hendrix, you know, for sure. And I, I, I think as if I have to, <clears throat> at the end of the day, that would probably still be number one. Um, but uh, let's see. I mean, as I started getting really deep into it and was playing a lot and getting really inspired, um, I, I gravitated towards a lot of rock instrumentalists like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and Eric Johnson and Jeff Beck. I was very into Eddie Van Halen. Could never play like him, but I love listening to him, you know. Um, <clears throat> I, I got real into jazz guys like John Schofield and Pat Martino and George Benson. Uh, Charlie Hunter, um, kind of more fusion players like Larry Carlton, Robin Ford, Wayne Krantz, um, a lot of gospel cats like Jonathan DuBose, Spanky Alford, um, a lot of like funk session players like Paul Jackson Jr., David Williams, um, session players like Steve Lukather, you know, for sure, um, there, gosh, man, there's just so many. Every time I hear something cool on the guitar, I'm like, I want to be able to do that, sort of, hopefully. <laughs> and obviously, you know, I can't do it all, but, um, you know, and I had like, and I listened to a lot of heavy music too, man. I mean, I listened to a lot of, you know, a fair amount of metal and progressive rock and stuff like that. So, you know, if you can make a sound on it on guitar, I've probably checked it out at some point. <laughs> You know, it is so tough, uh, Mark, because I was trying to write down, you know, people who I thought maybe were influences for you. 
and right. I got into it, and I was think? like, this is endless, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. I know I left off Prince, which is funny, because it's usually I always start with Prince, but, you know, of course, he's one of the top for me, too. But, yeah, I mean, it, and I think it just comes from just liking a lot of things, but then also understanding the practicality of being able to maybe play a lot of things at a somewhat convincing level. I mean, if you're a working guitar player, yeah, you can do one thing and make it your thing, or you can do a lot of things. And to me, when I was just getting started, I was, it was great because I liked a lot of things, but it was also great because I could kind of do a lot of things. And so I could take a lot of different gigs, which when you're 21 and you have to convince your parents that you're going to be a full-time musician, you need to pay the rent and take care of your bills and all that kind of stuff. And so you got to do all the gigs no matter what they are. <laughs> so I was playing, you know, I was playing in top 40 bands, doing weddings and stuff like that. I was playing in country groups. I was playing in hip hop groups. I was, you know, backing up singer songwriters. I was doing recordings for gospel singers, you know? Uh, yeah, it was like, whatever. I just said yes a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. yeah I understand. Um, some of the other ones I had just jotted down, you know, I mean, you named so many of them, but, you know, like Larry Correll and, and uh, McLaughlin and Holdsworth and. Um, Holdsworth for sure. Um, I haven't dug, honestly, haven't dug too deep into to Correll or, or um, McLaughlin, but, but definitely Alan Holdsworth. I, I mean, but he's another player kind of like Eddie Van Halen. It's like, I could never really do that. But I mean, I can't play like Alan Holdsworth simply because I am physically unable to. <laughs> My hands are not big enough. <laughs> but man, what a what a gift that guy had. Yes, you know? yes. So. And I, I don't know if you can see this, but I would kind of wear this. Just I was to trying to see what it said. Stevie Ray. The, Oh yeah. Oh, I definitely had a Stevie phase, man. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I had, we didn't even talk about my blues influences. I mean, Stevie and buddy guy and Albert King. Oh my gosh. I love Albert King. Um, probably one of the reasons why I keep a phaser phase shifter on my board is because of Albert King. <laughs> so, but I don't play upside down, so he can do a lot of cool stuff that I can't do. Still yeah. And you're in the land of it too now. So yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, so did you feel like you had, you know, sort of a natural facility for the instrument or was it something you really had to apply yourself to? Because I've had a lot of players on and one guy who kind of irked me a little bit just because he said it came to him like nothing was uh, mm -hmm. uh, Stevie Salas was oh, like, cool. yeah, it just came easy. I didn't remember try very hard. Well, he was born funky, I guess. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, sure. I mean, there were, I noticed I had a, an ability for it, um, but I had to work hard kind of on the transition from being more of a rock oriented player to someone who could also groove and play rock. Uh, it's, it's like learning another language. You know, I, I, in my quest to, to diversify, there were a lot of hurdles. Um, you know, some of them, I just chose not to really jump over, like becoming a great straight ahead jazz guitar player. <laughs> That's one of those things where it's like, it just doesn't sound right when I do it. Maybe I could play over these changes kind of, but it's not going to sound like it's not going to be right. Um, but I remember, you know, consciously, I think maybe I was probably 17 or something and, and got a record by soul live, you know, the band soul live mm -hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> just trying to kind of learn those grooves and those Eric Krasno guitar likes and be like, Oh, this is coming from a different place. You know, this is not 
the rock thing. I need to think about pocket in a different way now. I need to think about feel and tone and dynamics and just other things, you know. Same way when I started playing like Steely Dan tunes when I was in high school. I was like, all right, this is different. You know, this is not Ozzy Osbourne, right? I like both of those, those things, but I'm going to make a conscious effort to understand funk and swing and pocket and stuff like that. So, yeah, that that was a, a, a challenge, you know. I'm still trying to figure it out, probably. <laughs> I think I've mastered it yet, but... Yeah, well, you know, and um, talked about before, but the best players, even lead players, are pretty good at rhythm. I think, generally speaking, yeah. I mean, I th- maybe maybe it just depends on the kind of lead player, but um, but most of the ones that I love are great rhythm guitar players too. I mean, you can't so. ne- if you're right-handed, you can't neglect that right hand. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think in a, a large part of why we love is the great guitar solos that we do uh, is not even really the note, the notes themselves. It's the rhythms that the notes are placed in, you know, and the way that the phrasing is and the sort of the whole feel of it all, I think, is what sticks with us a lot of times with great guitar solos. Mm-hmm. And that's rhythm guitar. You know. Would you... Uh- categorize yourself as a gearhead where it comes to uh, <laughs> use a lot of pedals uh, i think right yeah i mean i you know it's yeah i guess so i have a lot of cool stuff that i like to use but i always kind of find myself trying to find myself in everything so i probably have more than i need <laughs> so maybe it's time for a reverb.com sale or something but um it's fun you know i mean there might be a new thing that will inspire something from you and um I always say this a lot. It's like you have a sound in your head and you're always kind of chasing the best way to get that out. And sometimes that results in lots of gear. Toys, lots of toys. Toys. Yeah. But you know what, man? Like at the end of the day, I hope I can just plug straight into an amp and sound good. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. What, um, what led you to a snarky puppy? How did that, connection happen sure they were a uh they were kind of just the cool band in the area um i was working a lot in dallas playing with various groups kind of in the r&b scene and they had started up in denton which is about 45 minutes away from dallas uh, when they were in school and we're kind of doing the same thing you know the players were coming down going to the gm sessions and playing with r&b and gospel artists and so i met them just through the scene and a friend of mine told me about that they were a band and uh i went to go see them a bunch of times and shared bills with them you know with different bands that i was in and and it was kind of always one of those things where it's like hey I'm glad i caught them before they blew up you know um <clears throat> never really thought about being in the band actually uh i had other pursuits that i was interested in and bands of my own that i thought were worth a damn you know <laughs> but um uh michael the the band leader he and I became good friends and, and we were doing a lot of recording work together. And, and so he just called one day and cause they had some gigs that the other two guitarists, Bob and Chris couldn't do. And, uh, I just happened to be available for a weekend of shows and learned a, as much of the music as I could and played it well enough to where they were like, Hey man, you learned all the tunes and you sound pretty good. Why don't you keep playing with us? And so that was it. I mean, that's, it's kind of how like everyone's got, everyone that wasn't like the original seven or whatever has, has gotten into the band. as almost like a sub that just kept getting invited back. <laughs> so. 
reminds me of uh, the way you know P Funk has been the last several sure. decades. You know, and exactly. that you know George, if you can do it, you can. You come in, and mm-hmm. I had uh, a member of the P Funk All Stars, Michael Clip Payne, uh, cool. and he was on the show. And when I asked him, you know, who is out there today that's doing something, doing it, and the group that he named was Snarky Puppy. Oh, that's you amazing. Know? Yeah. Cool. So. Definitely been keeping things interesting and uh, and real. Um, sure. Uh, what was it like the collaborative process within that unit? Well, um, as far as like the songwriting is concerned, the, the tunes are written individually. Um, everyone in the band is welcome to bring in a song, and we'll try all of them. You know, record as many of them as we can, and and just kind of see what works and what works with the contour of the record and. Uh, what the overall vision for the production is and kind of go from there. But, you know, everyone has such a unique, not only is a unique compositional voice, but a unique voice on the instrument that I think in the, in the, that's kind of where the collaboration comes from is that someone brings in the tune and then each player sort of interprets the parts kind of in their own language, you know, as it pertains to the the song, of course, we don't totally go off script all the way. We kind of leave that for the live show, but, um, you know, uh, I have a specific sound that sometimes the part will be handed to me because they, they know that that's the sound that the part needs, you know? So in that respect, everyone's DNA is all over the songs, even if maybe they didn't write the tune themselves. And of course the first couple albums were, you know, entirely instrumental and, um, very much, um, I mean, I haven't spoken to Michael and I, I don't know, but, um, seemed to me you know like headhunters influence and different jazz fusion influences going on and very cool stuff uh but it certainly has evolved over time yeah it's very different than it was i mean you know those first three records uh were at least before i was in the band you know um and even just the first three there's like a very distinct difference i mean you can tell by the third record which was bring us the bright I think it was the third one. Uh, you can you can tell that those guys had been hanging out in Dallas a lot uh, because stuff just got funkier. There was a little bit more of a groove to stuff, and uh, and that that was that was kind of an important change, I think, for a lot of the a lot of the fellas like soaking up that R and B Dallas funk thing because then it wasn't so much about fusion, you know. Um, so I kind of came in at a cool place because I, you know, I was already I was digging all that Dallas funk on my own, not in Snarky Puppy, and I was like, oh yeah, cool, you guys want? I like that stuff. <laughs> so it worked out. That's why I was curious, looking at the timeline and when you came in and how things changed. You know, how much, you know, were you responsible for bringing in some funk vibe? Oh, uh, maybe I don't know. I can't speak on that. Maybe maybe Michael confirmed that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, gosh, they around that same time, uh, Bobby Sparks was playing in the band, and Sean Martin and Robert Seawright, and uh, so these like Dallas funk icons, you know. So I, I maybe I had a small hand in that, but I wouldn't take any credit for it. <laughs> What's it like hanging with musicians of that caliber and doing that? Ah, oh, geez, I think the word is blessed. I'm just lucky. You know, I mean, my time feel got infinitely better as soon as I started playing with 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 drummers and from around here. Um, but I've just I've learned so much about music and production and just 
generally being cool. <laughs> They're all just cool. <laughs> so it's been nice. Yeah, and they probably, I look at them as mentors. They probably would be like, man, shut up, you know. But um, having those guys in my life has been, uh, I, I can't thank them enough. I, you know, I wouldn't be half the guitar player that I was if it wasn't for playing with those guys. And it sounds like probably yes, but did you sort of always hope and think you were going to start putting out stuff under your own name and, and how did that, why did it finally happen? Sure. Um, yeah, I think in the back of my mind and that was, then that came from early, early on listening to those guitar instrumentalists that I liked so much. Um, I was like, man, maybe one day I can do something, do this or something like this. I don't know. Um, I've never really been a singer, never really liked that role. Um, never really liked writing lyrics. And so instrumental music always just felt more natural to me. And uh, gosh, I think uh, it'll be 10 years since I put out my first record, solo record, um, which was done really just for fun. I mean, I loved the music and I, and I loved the way it turned out um, and I'm proud of it, you know, but I didn't look at it as like, and now begins my solo career. <laughs> Like I'm taking off. It wasn't like that at all. It was like, this is fun. I got these tunes I like. Let's make a cool little thing. If people dig it, great. If nobody cares about it, fine. You know, my mom will buy it, right? Um, and <clears throat> honestly, that was kind of my vision with them. I don't know, maybe up until like my third. And this isn't to discount them at all. It's just that like I hadn't quantified the idea of being a solo artist yet until I had built up sort of a catalog and people were saying like, Hey, I heard about you, you know, or, or actually like I heard about snarky puppy through you. And I was like, Oh, what do you, what? No, <laughs> you know, that's impossible. Uh, and so then I had to just be honest with myself and be like, okay, dude, you have a voice on the instrument. You have a voice as a writer, you do a thing you need to make it, you need to put some effort into it because people are expecting you to do this now, you know? Um, so there, maybe there was a little bit of a reluctancy there, but I I'm comfortable in it now. Um, because, you know, I mean, thanks to so much of all the other things of what else has happened in my career, I kind of have a way of sharing all this stuff now. And so, you know, it feels good to put out a record and have people know that it's out. <laughs> Uh, but even if nobody knew, I would still be doing it because I like to do it. Um, it's just uh, you, you end up with songs in your brain and you got to get them out. Otherwise, it starts to get unhealthy and uncomfortable. So <laughs> I just I did, I, every two years, I catalog, I catalog them. <laughs> you you purge it every, you know, every yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah. about every two years, maybe a year and a half, three years. I don't know. So uh, I want to mention so viewers and listeners know um, that first one was called Nose. Um, in right. 2011. Mm -hmm. um, and I just want to mention a few highlights for me. Um, nose, sure. nose was like a real funky kind of red hot chili peppers ish kind of vibe. And, uh, maybe so, uh, girl men, you know, you mentioned Jeff Beck. I definitely felt some of that sure. influence there. Um, and slide roll is a, is a real nice jam. Thanks man. Yeah. It's uh, a fun record. You know, I mean, the, I think, going back what I have done different things like production wise or whatever. Yeah. Maybe because I was learning. Um, but the tunes, like I still play those songs on gigs and people are like, what was that? And I was like, well, I was 10 years old, <laughs> you know? So I feel like the songs really kind of had a vibe and have held up, you know, do you ever go to play like a particular track and you realize you're playing another one or do you ever mix them up at all? Uh, no, but I definitely go back to 
some of that stuff, at least from the first record, and be like, wow, I was kind of a different guitar player. Uh, there's the first, I think it's the first, first or second track on that record, Big Duck. Uh, I First, yeah. First, the first track, okay. Uh, I, man, that's like a part of my playing that I haven't focused on in a long time. That kind of like syncopated, distorted, fusiony funk thing. I know it sounds funny because people probably hear it and they're like, that's exactly what you sound like. But to me, there's a physicality in that song that I, I don't know if I have anymore or I just haven't really focused on. Uh, and so we haven't played it in a long time and I, I should probably fix that because it's a cool track. <laughs> Maybe this will lead to that. There you go. Yeah. Um, and the second one, Future Fun, uh, was out in uh, 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, really like Catboy. Um, Thanks, man. And, and uh, Future Fun, the uh, title track. Uh, a little rockier. That was probably one of your earliest rocky uh, type yeah, tracks. Yeah, kind of had pop pop rock with changes. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Stinger, a little of that blues influence on that one. Thanks. And yeah. uh, uh, Slugbug made me think of you know we didn't mention him but if you had some billy gibbons influence mm, as well yeah we didn't mention zz top but shoot yeah i love zz top man um that's in there you know uh slug bug kind of i guess if i think about it maybe was like the first baritone funk song in a sense uh in the because the groove is sort of a a bit of a play on like dc go-go beat a little bit it's not all the way there but that was kind of what we wanted to have an essence of there uh a rare essence to make a go-go pun um but uh is that the name of the band that was the name of the band right yes yeah <laughs> i was like i'll make sure i didn't mess that up on a joke because that'd be really bad uh and then the guitar is tuned down to b which is a standard baritone tuning i just didn't use a baritone guitar so but again that's a tune that's I don't know, 2013 that we still play live. Now it's got an extended drum solo and that's, that's a kind of a crowd favorite. People actually yell at me to play that. <laughs> so if I don't have a baritone, it's kind of unfortunate because I tell them that I can't play it. But, now explain for those who, who don't know what a baritone guitar is and how it differs. Yeah. Um, it's tuned uh, either a fourth or a fifth below standard guitar tuning. So it's not as low as a bass, but it's, it's like a, maybe like tenor range, I guess you call it. Uh, and I don't want to generalize them, but primarily you may hear, have heard of them in country music or, uh, soundtracks. Um, it's kind of a textural instrument. Uh, it's it, at least in my experience, I hadn't heard it quite out in the forefront really. Um, but I chose to, to write funk groove music on it. Cause I thought, uh, with the baritone, the way it's tuned, you get a little bit of a thud and bottom of a bass guitar, but you still get that snap and crack of a funky electric standard guitar. And so it made sense f- to me for it to be a groove instrument. Hey, do you feel, have you got any feedback where you felt like you've opened up some funk enthusiasts, you know, ears and eyes and they're like, what is that? Whoa. You know? Yeah. No, I think I have, um, you know, if, if social media is any indication, um, a lot of people are picking up baritone guitars and playing funk grooves. And I know that cause they hashtag my name. <laughs> so I'm able to see, and it's kind of, Oh, look what I've, I wouldn't date want to take credit for it, but it seems that those, this thing has kind of, kind of occurred. I mean, I don't know if it's this massive wave of baritone funk, but uh, people are 
people are getting hip to it and I am getting called to, to do that on people's records now. Um, Hey, do you think you could throw a baritone, like kind of funky baritone part on there? I'm like, yeah, sure. Of course. So yeah, it's cool. It's kind of cool to see how it's kind of expanded. And how does the sound of that differ from the frequencies of like a piccolo bass? Hmm. I'm actually not sure. I don't know if I've played a piccolo bass. They might around be in the same register, but I think a lot of it has to do with the pickups and the electronics. Um, guitar pickups, I think, are voiced differently than bass pickups, and so you get, even if it might be in the same tuning range, you get a different frequency coming through. Uh, baritone guitars have a kind of a specific top-end, high-mid growl that you don't really get with a any kind of bass guitar. But, uh, yeah, I should probably pick up a piccolo and see what I sound like on one. <laughs> Stanley Clark leaps to mind. As, as there you go. All right. Playing that one. Um, so, yeah, that third record felt like that was your first full-fledged album. The other two f- seemed a little more EP-ish. And then you really yeah, that's made like say. a f- full statement with Spark and Echo. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's fair to say. Yeah. So I, I look at that as kind of like a, yeah, the full statement. Like, okay, I think I'm a solo artist now. <laughs> <laughs> Here you go. Um, I love that record. I'm I'm really proud of that record. I think it turned out really nice. Yeah, I really like Little Minx, which rocks uh, quite Thanks, nicely. And another um, one I don't play live enough. Gosh, what's wrong with me? It's in a weird see. tuning, so <laughs> that's my excuse for that one. Um, yeah, more fusiony on this one than the other two, I think, and more soloing, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Probably, um, so maybe so. Yeah. Um, if maybe feeling your oats a little more on this one, uh, and you did the cover tune, how'd you decide on on that track? Uh, I've always loved that song. It's always been one of my favorite songs. Um, I I remember, I remember that as a, as a kid, you know? Uh, and so we had been playing it live, um, as a trio really sometimes with a keyboard. But, uh, when we got into the studio, I had actually played it one time with a friend who played pedal steel. Uh, we were in Atlanta, I think on tour and I just had him come sit and I was like, Hey, do you want to try this on pedal steel? And I just remember thinking like, wow, this was kind of a cool vibe. Uh, so when it came time to record that record, that tune was actually kind of an afterthought. We actually just sort of had some leftover studio time. And I was like, you guys want to do everybody wants to rule the world. And the guys were like, yeah, sure. So we just got in there and recorded it, uh, as a trio. And then I brought in Milo Deering to do the steel and the fiddle and, the accoutrements and so yeah i thought it was cool i mean you know it, i didn't want to reimagine the whole song like i didn't you know it just felt natural to kind of play it kind of up the middle but just in it with a slightly different accent texas accent <laughs> <laughs> and mark what do you feel like you took from that project you know doing this more full fleshed uh out uh piece of work and um how did that take you forward to your you know successive uh, solo work and also what did it bring to you know what you were now doing with other groups like snarky pup hmm. that's a good question um <clears throat> i definitely learned a lot from spark and echo uh from a production standpoint like how to how instruments need to fit in a mix and how much is too much and do we need all these guitar parts <laughs> things like that and and really kind of learning how to look at, at a composition and the arrangement of that composition so that the arrangement really fits what's going on and kind of the intent of, of, of the tune. Uh, and so I think that helped me out just to be a better self-producer and, and a better session player, really. 
Um, I treat it. I treat all my records almost like I'm doing sessions for other people in a strange way uh, because I just want the composition and the tune and the arrangement to, to be as cool as it can be. And if that might mean it needs some fancy guitar stuff, it might mean that it doesn't. Um, and that's kind of exactly the way I would approach someone else's tune. It's like, if you need me to, if you need fireworks, I will give them to you. But if the song doesn't need it, then we don't need to do it. Um, <clears throat> and so it was kind of an exercise in, in restraint and just kind of like learning how to write and produce the best kind of songs that I could and use the guitar to get that point across rather than it being about the guitar. So, but there's cool guitar stuff on there too. If, you, <laughs> if you're in no that. doubt, no doubt. <laughs> Um, but more of a means to an end than, than, you know, the thing. Yeah. Because I, you know, I like songs and I love guitar, but my influences are not just guitar players. They're other instrumentalists or they're bands or they're songwriters. I mean, Jackson Brown is one of my favorite artists, you know, and he's a songwriter, right? So, um, I'm always interested in just having a cool composition. I'm looking at where you went from, from there, Mark. And um, was it things of that nature or the volume one of the bass? Well, yeah, it was the volume one of the baritone thing, which it wasn't called baritone. volume one, but I'm referring to it as that now because I did a volume two <laughs> and I didn't know what else to call volume two. So the, <laughs> the baritone thing was like a kind of a, just another lane, another avenue for me that I, I travel in at times. And, uh, that came from discovering the baritone guitar as a funk instrument and making these little like social media videos. Uh, I had this thing called baritone funk Thursday, which like every Thursday for several weeks, I would post up some new little micro jam one minute, 30 second baritone tune that I would write and film and program beats to and everything. And, uh, it kind of became the social media thing that people were getting really excited about and kind of went viral. And then people just started asking for an album and I hadn't, again, this is my reluctancy to be a solo artist. I guess I had never really thought about it as an album. I was like, Oh, this is just some, you know, Instagram joke <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> and I was like, wait a minute. No, it's not. This is serious. This is cool. You should do it. You idiot. Uh, and so, <clears throat> So I put that record together and produced it all here at the home studio and, and emailed out a couple parts and did a drum session and that became volume one. And uh, immediately everyone was like, where, where is volume two? And I was like, all right, so this is a thing now. So now I have my two lanes that I get in my car as a composer and I decide to drive in the baritone funk lane or I, I decide to drive in the things of that nature, spark and echo, traditional instrumental guitar lane. So. Right now, I'm kind of in the baritone lane, but if you come see me live, it's a lot of swerving back and forth between the two. A lot of changing of lanes. That explains. Okay. Yeah. And where did it come from, you know, that you have these mostly one-word title songs and, you know, yeah. how do you well, come up with it? So I had this idea, as soon as I decided I was going to make an album, I was going to call it Deep because I just thought it was a cool one, you know, solid thing. Uh kind of describes the feeling of the baritone guitar and the feeling of the music a lot of bottom end you know it's deep um and then i was like okay maybe i can take the theme a little further and name it after something at the bottom of the ocean deep sea let's see how about species of fish because i always thought those names were cool 
so I, I got on the Googles and found all the cool names and was like, this fish kind of reminds me of this tune. This name kind of reminds me of this tune. And I just started kind of pairing them up. And uh, for volume two, it's kind of the same thing. A friend suggested I should do Deep Space. Uh, and I was like, all right, great. So I started getting on the Google and, and finding names of celestial phenomena and exploding stars and different other kinds of stuff like that uh, to kind of make those tunes happen. I don't know what I'm going to do for volume three. I, the joke is that I, it's going to be deep feelings. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't think anybody's going to want to listen to that. It won't be very funky. That doesn't sound funky, no. no yeah, no. nah, pass. <laughs> um, I thought maybe you were hanging out the gulf down there just staring at the sky, you know, and you got the... Yeah, right. Both deeps right there. Uh, yep. Um, you know, I don't know if you, it occurred to you, but it occurred to me that it's kind of interesting that these are works of funk primarily, and the uh, ocean and the space themes are similar to Parliament with uh, Motor mm. Booty Affair and the Mothership Connection, which right. is on the wall back there. So I noticed all the stuff back there. So yeah. also deep space and deep ocean for those. All right. Cool. Um, uh, anytime you can, I can be equated to George is good. <laughs> so that works for me. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.